When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. So today I am starting off my podcast interviews that will involve mothers that reside in a different country. And these episodes are very laid back and they talk about prenatal care, pregnancy, postnatal care, delivery, schooling, the way that people handle parenting in different countries and so many other things. And so we will go back and forth between subjects during these interviews. And the first interview I am doing is with Jenna. And Jenna is a mom of four girls. She's married to her high school sweetheart. And they took a leap of faith last year and moved to Germany for the next three years. So she moved there last summer. And she was very early on in her fourth pregnancy at the time. So she was able to experience prenatal care the birthing process and postnatal care over in Germany. And she also has a child that's enrolled as a first grader over in a German school. So she speaks to that experience as well. And I will tell you right now, it is very, very eye-opening and makes me want to move to Germany to enroll my kids in their schools. (laughs) So I also plan to interview a German citizen because there are just a few topics that I think they would be able to speak to better because they they live over there and are able to reap the benefits of the maternity leave and things like that. So I plan to do that in the future. I really love the point of view that she has where she can compare the American culture with the German culture, having experienced both. So I hope you really enjoy this and let me know if you know of anybody that would love to be on this podcast talking about the country that they are currently residing in because I would love to have them. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, Good Jenna. Morning. We are really excited to have you. So you were originally from Indiana and now you are currently residing in Germany. And we briefly spoke about this right before we hopped on. But if you just want to share a little brief synopsis of like what what brought you over to Germany as much as you can share, and then we'll dive into some of the questions. Yeah, absolutely. So I was offered a really remarkable job opportunity that allowed us to come over to Germany for a three-year stay. And my husband and I just really thought it was a wonderful opportunity to come over and live and work and immerse ourselves in the culture and to also allow ourselves to more easily and financially travel Europe with our big and growing family. Yeah. So you have four kids now, seven week old. So you're postpartum. And so when did you, when did you move over to Germany? Were you pregnant? I was recently pregnant. So I had miscarried in last April and then got pregnant again in July. And so I was close, well, little found out we were pregnant in July. So I was about eight weeks when we flew over in August. Okay. And so you did have the majority of your 
your prenatal care there. So how did it differ from the prenatal care you received for your other children here in the States? Like, did they do the same amount of ultrasounds? Did they have roughly the same amount of appointments leading up to the delivery? Yeah, so that part was entirely different. At least my experience in the States, I had one ultrasound during my pregnancy at the typical 20-week anatomy scan. And then after that, I didn't, it was really just belly measuring and, you know, how are you feeling? In and out. Here in Germany, my appointments were maybe quicker, less discussions, but every time they did an ultrasound. So it was every appointment and they would check the baby and it made that 20 week ultrasound not as important. It just felt like another, you know, another appointment. It didn't feel like such a big milestone. And then starting at my third trimester, I was used to coming in in the States. They would have me come in every couple weeks. But starting at my third trimester, they still just saw me every four weeks until I hit 36 weeks. And then after that, they did monitoring, which I feel like in the States we call a stress test. But here they just call it monitoring. They'd monitor me every time I came in. And that was from 36 to 40. Was it what once a week? Yeah, it was once a week. And then I actually went over my due date with the, my the Zoe, my with, my, the, fourth. with the fourth, <laughs> which I had never done before. And so they had me come in every couple of days. I was coming in for monitoring and ultrasound fluid check. Now I will say in the states, I had a wonderful OB who I've had. I had three unmedicated, uncomplicated deliveries. And I always delivered on time. So there was never a discussion of induction. But over here in Germany, even though I was I was eight days overdue, never once did the doctors ever discuss any kind of intervention. So which I really appreciated. Wow. I you know, it was a fear of mine. I didn't really I knew that my body had always gone naturally. And so I didn't yeah. didn't really want to have that kind of conversation. And never once did they bring it up. It was just like, okay, your fluid's good, wow. baby's good. All is good. Well, we'll wait. She's just comfy. Yeah, that's amazing. So, can you talk a little bit about the what's available to you as far as you know, birthing in a hospital or a birthing center or home birth? Like, have you like met a lot of people over there that prefer one or the other? Were there a lot of options for you, or was there just one option? So, for my situation, I could have done a home birth. I would have had to find a private midwife, but you know, I think I could the same way that people can in the States, you know, kind of on your own, finding your own resources. But the hospital that I went to, the one thing that was kind of different from my experience in the States, even though it wasn't a birthing center, all the rooms were equipped. What I would consider more of a holistic birthing experience in the States. So every labor and delivery room had every kind of birthing ball you can imagine. There were mats on the floor. There was a ballet bar on the walls. There were birthing tubs readily available. There were things hanging from the ceiling that you could hold, like drape style. There were chairs that, because of my the quickness of my labor, I didn't even approach, but I don't even know what I would have done with them. Like I think you squat on them. They looked just completely ergonomic for birthing. All of those things, you know, in the States, while I delivered at a wonderful hospital, 
I think maybe they had a ball. I don't even know if they did. I couldn't see it. <laughs> wow. That, so first, I'm just going to stop you because that it almost makes me emotional thinking about it because why are we so behind? I don't understand. Like, this is the kind of stuff that makes me so crazy. Like, to be able to offer that, all, I, and I think this is why people almost pushed for wanting like a birth center or a home birth, right? Because they have all these amazing, beautiful options of like birthing their child the way that they want to. And yet the hospitals, all they offer is this bed. And it's like, I, I don't want to give birth in a bed. I'm telling you right now, birthing for babies like you, it is so uncomfortable to be laying in a bed trying to give birth. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, you kind of want to be in any other position. And so, like to have all of those options at your disposal just makes it so much more inviting. And like, I don't know, I, I just, wow, that's just so crazy. Okay. So keep going. Tell us more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really was, I mean, that part was really cool. So even though it was a traditional hospital and I was kind of talking to a chiro- my chiropractor who she's from Australia, she's married to a German, um, but I was kind of just telling her how amazed I was. And she, she said, oh yeah, that's typical. So I don't think that's just my hospital. You know, that's just standard care here. And at least where I birth, they have midwives and doctors kind of separate. So my OB did end up coming up because it was a work day and she was there. But generally, you know, they have separate kind of OB labor and delivery doctors, at least at the hospital where I delivered. So yeah, I mean, that part of it, was definitely amazing. And I could have delivered in a tub if I wanted to. And I, and I remember when I filled out paperwork to register, they even offered like enemas when I, when they were like, if you want an enema, when you, you know, c- come in for labor. And they had, I think they offered like acupuncture. I didn't even touch any of that because wow. I was just, my labor was so quick, but it definitely would I think my experience at a traditional German hospital is what I would have thought more of a birthing center in the States for sure. So what were your options for pain control? I know you said you had unmedicated births, but like, what did they tell you what the the pain control options were like prior to, to birthing? Did they say, Hey, we have these options in case you need them? Yeah. So my hospital at least was pretty open to epidurals. I do think because of the population where I'm at, there's a large population of Americans, but I've heard, you know, that some hospitals are more apt not to readily give you an epidural. They would have easily given me an epidural. They gave that as an option. I think there were a couple other alternatives. To be honest, I'm terrified of needles. (laughs) And I knew that I'd had like three unmedicated births. So I just kind of scanned over that. And this time is really weird. Germany is still really locked down. Mm. partners right now in Germany cannot like the hospital I delivered at unless you're at four or five centimeters your partner cannot come up so you're by yourself during that time so I had a friend first time mom labored at the same hospital I did she labored for 24 hours without progressing she was only at three centimeters and I know the midwife stayed with her you know the whole time and you know did some pain management techniques but it's I just kind of scanned over that part of the paperwork. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that's really hard though. So you guys are still locked down pretty good over there? Oh yes, yeah. I mean, right now only essential businesses. And I say that, and I think to Americans that means something different. That still means a Home Depot or a lawn and garden center. 
I mean, here I can't even go into Ikea. So, and a lot of places require tests that you have to go to the local apotecas for. So it's not, and you have to make appointments too for some places. Basically the only things you can easily walk into are grocery stores and gas stations and the apotecas, which is a drugstore. Do you have any idea what the percentage of people vaccinated over in Germany is right now? I don't. I um, was vaccinated by my employer. So I, yeah, but yeah, I think it's, I want to say it's close to 30%, not as quick as they were hoping. Because that's pretty great. I mean, what, I mean, and you might not know any of this, but like, is the case percentage like high over there? Is that why they're still locked down like that? I mean, I'm, I'm completely naive right now because I haven't, you know, looked up the stats for that specific country, but I feel like that's a really tight lockdown for, I don't know. I'm actually even going to see if I can look it up really quick. Because that's crazy. I want to see if the numbers are higher than a hundred and per 1000 or a hundred per 10,000. I don't know. We've been locked down this way since December. I mean, Since yeah, we, <laughs> so uh, we, I mean, we can't go out to eat places are just takeout only. I mean, it's just, I see people in the States doing all of these normal things and we're, we're definitely not there. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, the lockdowns there are quite certainly different than quote lockdowns and quote over here, right? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people think they're losing rights over here. It's like, mm. and, even, and my oldest goes to a uh, ground school. So she's, she's in first grade and they're testing her twice a week. They, there was no, there was no option. She is tested twice a week. (gasps) She must be an expert. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and you know, if she tests positive at school, then to ensure it's not a false positive, then we have to go get, you know, one of the more rapid tests or antigen tests at the apotheca to ensure that it's not a false positive. So. Wow. That is crazy. And their masks and like, what else do they have to do at school? Anything? Yeah. So they definitely have to mask. And that was new when she first was in school, they weren't requiring that at their age, but now she she went virtual from November to, I want to say January when they went back to school in February, it was, you know, you have to have a mask and we're going to sit them all, you know, six feet apart. When she first started back in October, they were still allowing them to sit next to each other and stuff. So. Wow. That's crazy. I'm going to have to look up what their percentage is. I'm just so curious because of how tight the lockdown is compared to over here. Okay. So let's go back into the postpartum stuff. (laughs) No, no, we just go. That's totally fine. So how about um, the stay in the hospital? How long are you there before you go home? (laughs) After baby's born? Two minutes? (laughs) I was home after five hours. So, oh my gosh, I wasn't getting so, okay. Yeah, so because of the coronavirus and the restrictions at the hospital, my partner had to leave three to four hours after birth if I was staying. So, because I wasn't a first time mom and because their approach postpartum is pretty hands off. So, you know, even when I delivered, they all left the room in between my daughter being born and coming back to deliver the placenta. Like just for that 10 minutes, they all exited the room. Like no one was in there. So, Oh, but I really like that because guess what? Like that moment gets to be yours and not everybody. A hundred percent. Yeah. So 
So because I knew they were going to be so hands off, there wasn't very much appealing to me about staying in the hospital by myself with a baby. So, so because of the way I delivered, you know, I had no complications and I felt fine. My doctor wanted me to stay for four to five hours. She said, after those five hours, I felt okay. And so we came home, which was literally felt insane. I mean, it, it, it did feel a little crazy, but it was, it was kind of nice. You know, we yeah, had yeah. her at four in the afternoon and we're in our own beds at 1030. So. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So now let's get into this good stuff. Uh, postpartum care. What happened with postpartum care? Like, do you have a visiting nurse come out to you? Do you follow up two weeks later? What, like, what's the situation? Yeah. So my situation is a little bit different. So I think if I, you know, was a German citizen, I think I would have a midwife coming because I'm not, even though I'm seen on the economy. So on the German economy, I just have a typical six week checkup the way Mm -hmm. I would in the States. So that part isn't different for me quite yet. I do think that would be different if I was a German citizen. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, hopefully you can have someone speak to that. But for me, for me, the care is the same and definitely even in the hospital, you know, it was, it was a lot different. You know, she, I'm used to, you know, the nurses really checking the, my uterus to like, make sure my bleeding's down. She really just felt my stomach a little bit and said, oh, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, okay, is it really? (laughs) Oh my God. So, so yeah, but I, I did have a friend who delivered at the same hospital and she was having like lactation concerns and they did find her a midwife that did end up coming out. So I don't know if I was having more issues if I would give different kinds of care, but. So that's another question I have for you is a lot of people wanted to know about breastfeeding. Are they you know, very pro breastfeeding? Do they offer you somebody like a lactation consultant that can help? Or like, what did they tell you about nursing your baby afterwards? Did they talk about it at all? They didn't. And my experience from what I understand from other people who delivered at my same hospital is pretty similar. You have to really ask, you know, they really respect mm. that this is like your experience. So, you know, during while I was laboring, very hands off, you know, unless I would have asked, you know, they're pretty much let you labor on your own. And same thing postpartum, you know, they, she, my daughter was born, they left, then I delivered the placenta, then they left for, you know, an hour and left us alone. And I think if I was struggling, I could have asked them to come back in the room and help with latch, etc. But my husband, bless his heart, is the best lactation consultant I've ever had. <laughs> you just, you know, he, he <laughs> helped her latch. And I think they saw that. But I mean, they didn't ask me if I wanted formula versus breastfeeding. It was just, I think, assumed that I would breastfeed. That's, that yeah, breastfeed. yeah. Okay. I mean, they might offer formula, but. That's so interesting. So all in all, after having three births in the States and one in Germany, which one did you prefer overall? I know you had an amazing OB. I, I did. But... And honestly, <laughs> it's hard. I did love I did love my German experience, but because of Corona, like my husband 
yeah, and my, I know, my labor went really quick. So when they checked me and I was at four, when I finally went into labor, by the time my husband was able to get up because they tested him for COVID, he had to register me. By the time he got back in the room, I looked at him in panic and said, you need to go get the nurse. I need to push. I was still in all my clothes, my shoes, everything. I was like, she's coming. And I was kind of, I was panicked. And sure enough, by the time he got me undressed and I got on the bed and the nurse came in, she was crowning and she was born. And in 50, so by the time my husband walked into the room until my daughter was born was 15 minutes. So going through active labor by myself in that like hour between my four centimeters and my 10 was a little brutal, if I'm being honest, because I didn't have like my yeah. support person there. And if Corona wasn't around, you know, it would have been a different experience in the German hospital. <laughs> but right, I only pushed right. three times, which I've always pushed for an hour and a half. So that was yeah. really positive. <laughs> but, I can't imagine. I mean, yeah, no, I definitely can't. I mean, my, so I had one completely unmedicated birth, my son, and he came out in like two seconds, but only because that was an emergency. And if I didn't get him out, he, I would have had to have a C-section. So I don't know how you pushed for an hour and a half. I mean, my first, I had a uh, epidural, but it only took to one side. So I did have at least one side that was <laughs> numb, but I pushed with her for four, uh, four and a half hours from two to six thirty. And I just, I think I, I don't know. I would have called it quits if I didn't have at least half my body. <laughs> yeah. I've always, I've always pushed for a long time. And so this time, you know, I did labor on my side too, which I think they probably would let me do on the States, but that was definitely different. You know, they didn't even question that was just how I got on the bed when they checked me. You know, that's how I was. And they rolled with it. You know, I think definitely mm -hmm. they were super open to any position. And that was even in the paperwork, you know, leading up to giving birth. It was, mm -hmm. hey, if you want to, if you want to deliver on your side, on all fours, whatever, you know, it's fine. And so I definitely, you know, appreciated that. And I think it helped to... I was, I thought to myself, I shouldn't be pushing an hour and a half. This is my fourth kid. Yeah, really. I mean, come on. That's like, that's like torture. It's like, yeah. So <laughs> really, <laughs> although yeah, with my fourth, I pushed longer than with my third, but there was a difference of an epidural. So I think that probably made a difference. Made a yeah. But yeah. So, and this is probably going to be different for, you know, a German citizen, but like, how did you, when you went over there as an American working over there? Did you have access to medical insurance or like, how did you, how does that work as far as like having, giving birth over there? Yeah. So I do have medical insurance that does direct billing with the hospital I chose. So thankfully that was pretty seamless for me. Thankfully, you know, the hospital direct bills, there's exchange rate complications and <laughs> all mm. sorts of things. But overall, that was, you know, pretty similar. The way they do medical records is completely different. That was absolutely new. They give they give you a mother's book, what they call a mother pass. And that's where they put all of your medical information. So like each time you have to take mm. this book and give it to your doctor. And that's where they put all of your information. <laughs> and I kind of get it. You know, they said like, Hey, if you get into a wreck, that's the first thing the ambulance is going to ask for. Mm. 
So, you know, that part was different. But thankfully for me, insurance was pretty seamless. Yeah. So is the follow-up for the newborn the same too? Like essentially a couple days, then two weeks, and a month? Yes. Yeah. Because she wasn't, because I left so soon, she wasn't seen by a pediatrician before we left the hospital. So Mm -hmm. I had to go back at three days and then she had a four week appointment and then she's being seen again in six weeks. So yeah, like a 10 week, 10 or 12 week appointment. Yeah. Yeah. And you might not be able to speak to this directly, but what is the leave from work there? Like, I know it's gonna be different for you because you essentially don't work right for, for I don't. Yeah. So what did, have you heard though, what the, what the leave is like for a typical like German citizen over there? Yeah. So I work alongside German citizens and they get two years. (laughs) It would just, (laughs) wait, I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. Yeah. My, you know, uh, yeah. So, and even, you know, I'm talking to my chiropractor and, you know, talking about going back in this case, I'm going back in eight weeks, which is a conscious choice. I could have taken 12. I'm taking eight so that I can take leave kind of intermittently for the first year. But my chiropractor was just appalled by it. And, and even the fact that I worked up until 40, I think was unique. She, she was like, you should be off work. Is is it right that you're still working? Two years? years. Okay. Is that fully paid? Or is it like, you know, a year fully paid and then partial or <laughs> what is it? I don't know that part, but I think there must be a lot of support because even for Americans trying to seek care for infants, if they are trying to seek care on the economy, so, you know, by a German facility, they won't take infants if for, for the most part. You know, you have, you'd have to find like an au pair or a nanny to watch your infant because that's just not something that they need here. They don't need, they don't need care for, you know, a 20 week old. So yeah, that part was totally crazy <laughs> too. Yeah. Huh. And I just, I'm so interested and I'll, I'll do a follow-up podcast with somebody like a German citizen, because I'm so curious as to like the logistics of all of that, like how can they afford to pay somebody for two years and then have that position completely empty. Or, I mean, I guess they'd have to fill it, right? It's just like, yeah, that's crazy to me. I have no idea. I think, I think it's amazing, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit hard for me to wrap my head around just with what we're used to in the States because it's just, yeah. I mean, I've had four babies. They're only two, you know, two and a half years. You would have eight years, (laughs) eight years. (laughs) You would have had eight years off and been paid. I mean, this is like, what do we do? <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. That's so crazy. Do you know, like, how common is it to have help around the home, like in Germany? Like, do do mothers typically have like a, a nanny or a babysitter come and help them or no, because they're, they have this, I mean, I would assume it's probably not as common because they are allowed to have these long maternity leaves. Yeah. I mean, I would love to, you know, to hear what someone, you know, a German citizen says, but from my understanding, they get two years and then their kitas, which is their, what I would consider, you know, like the preschool, those are all run by the state. And so 
I assume that after, you know, at two years, their kids just go straight to the Kita, which is the public preschool. And, is, and that's, that's all free. free. Mm-hmm. That's all free. It's all free. So, wow. and like in our town, so my daughter was, ex- my oldest was accepted by the local gone school, which is the elementary school. But we tried to get my five-year-old into the school and they just said, no, you know, we're filled with enough German citizens. We can't take Americans, which is, you know, totally fair. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I would assume that that's for the most part, what, what they're doing is they're sending them straight to the Kita, which is publicly run and free. Oh, that's so interesting. And is that program, so say the mom works eight to four, it, the child is able to go there eight to four, like regardless of what times the, the school is in session? I have no idea because my daughter gets out of yeah. school at 1140. <laughs> like, hmm, that only gives you like a couple hours to work. There is an after school uh, program, but mm-hmm. I don't know how that works for the Kita. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. So have you noticed any differences within the school? Like, do they really value getting the kids outside? Do they really value like playtime versus learning, especially early on in that age group? Like what have you noticed in the schools there compared to the schools here? Oh, absolutely. All of that. And just today. <laughs> oh, that's frustrating. <laughs> and just today, like on our walk, we, so we took a, I took a walk with my daughter's and we could see the local Kita, all of the kids, they were outside at the playground. They were taking a walk through the woods. I mean, here, you don't learn to read and write until you're in first grade. So, so until then, it is, it's all play-based. So they're not focused on academics. So my daughter, even though she didn't speak any German when she started first grade, the reading and writing part that's, that was comparable with what her classmates were learning. You know, they, they weren't reading and writing in German already. They, they don't start that type of thing until first grade. And so that is a complete 180 from what we do. And then before they go into first grade, they get this, they have this huge like ceremony where, and I'm drawing a blank on the name where they get this cone filled with candy. It's like this huge celebration when you go into first grade, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. You're going into first grade and you're starting your, you know, learning journey. And so, and my daughter has, so she's in school from seven forty-five until 1140. During that time, she has what they call. Okay. Wait, hold on. Sorry. That's first first grade. grade. Okay. That's oh, okay. So that's something I feel like we should maybe repeat. <laughs> was what, sorry. Steph. Oh my God. 745 to 1140. To 1140. Yeah. And okay. So we're talking about four hours, four hours and dur- every, day. every day. And during that time she gets three pauses, which is recess. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and they go outside pretty much rain or shine. And they have their window open pretty much all day. So like in the... Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I knew this. I knew, So obviously you're the first person that I'm interviewing for this. And I knew this was going to be frustrating, but I didn't know to the extent of which I would be frustrated during this interview. <laughs> like, I mean, so, okay. I'll follow up with that question after you keep going. Oh, yeah. So, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and I think... The other biggest difference that I like do want to point out, because I think to, in my mind, it's super, it's a big change, is the independence and the value that they put on those kids and school being their space. So we don't walk her to the front door. You know, there's a gate outside 
her little recess area. And that's where we drop her off. She walks into school by herself. Teaching independence. Complete independence. Huge, huge. Even at this age, at first first grade, their teacher says, you know, hey, it's pausa time. There was a bell. I don't know if it's broken or what, but I kind of asked her today just to be sure I wasn't saying anything wrong. But her teacher says, hey, guys, it's pausa. And then they're sent down to pausa. Now, there is a teacher outside. She said to make sure they don't fight. <laughs> but... But then when pause is done, they send them back upstairs. You know, I feel like in the States, kids are never left alone. They're walking in a straight line through the hallways. Yep. Line, line up, line up, do this, do that. Oh, yeah. No, oh my gosh, that's so Here amazing. they just send them down. And I think sometimes when she goes back up to the classroom, and at least in the morning, her teacher isn't automatically in that room. You know, she they might have five to 10 minutes where she said they just play in the classroom with each other before their teacher comes back to the classroom. So, so that, I mean, that's just, they're just teaching them complete independence and how to work things out on their own. And yeah, I mean, for the most part, adults other than teachers don't go in that school. That is their space. You know, the one time we toured the school in the hallways, they had things hanging that the kids had decorated. You know, it was just, that space is theirs, which I think is amazing. Wow. You know, it's teaching, yeah, giving them ownership over their education. That's so your daughter specifically now, is she learning to read and write in German only or both? Oh no, she's only, it's German through and through. Yeah. Where she's any reading and writing she does in English is only at home and what she learned from her time in pre-K and kindergarten in the States there. She's completely learning. That's really cool. So how, how has she progressed with German? I'm just curious because they usually like really latch onto it at that age. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's really latched onto it. And I think it's pretty cool. Like each, each week they learn a sound. So this week it's EU, like and I, I'm horrible at pronunciation, so I'm not even going to attempt to butcher it for fear of embarrassing myself. But they also teach them the sign language that goes with it. So, so oh, wow. you know, Otto, she can, she'll show us the signs for that. Each time they teach them a sound, they teach them the sign that goes with it, which I think is kind of amazing I, to kind of wow. learn the sign language side of it too. And I don't know how long that'll keep up, but she really has taken, she knows more than I think she lets on. If I ask her to tell me sentences, she can easily rattle off. And Wow. And so she'll be there for another two, two years, years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. She'll be, I mean, she'll be fluent, I would imagine. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. That's so, but that's so cool. Yeah. It's, <sighs> okay. So... I think, how are you going to bring your kids back to the schools here? <laughs> no, I mean, this is like, this is like a very, I mean, I know we're laughing, but like, I'm straight up serious. Like I, I mean, after all of the, I don't even know when this became a, an obsession of mine, but I think it was when we, we had, we've been doing this, these trips to, you know, Europe, specifically Switzerland, Austria, Norway, you know, we do these, these trips and we do them once a year. It's a big trip, but I really want my kids to be able to experience other cultures and especially as they grow older. So, and we always like, we do a lot of hiking. We do a lot of, everything's outdoors. We walk around, we see all their schools. Mm-hmm. The kids are always outside. They're always in their rain gear. They're always. And so I started to like read all these books and I started to really get into the school culture, especially in like the European Scandinavian countries. And I mean, it's really appalling to me how 
obsessed the American culture is with testing and grades and not with getting outdoors and play. And right now my daughter, my oldest, who's also in first grade. So this is like a really awesome comparison right now. And she goes to school. She gets there at nine. I, she comes home at three. So she's there for two hours more and she only gets one recess (laughs) and it's for 20 minutes. And it makes me physically ill. Like I am, it's like nauseates me that she is sitting in a classroom for six hours and gets to go move her legs outdoors for 20 minutes. And it makes me so frustrated. And like, I'll have my parent teacher conferences twice a year. And they're like, Oh, you know, the standardized testing. And it's always like the teachers always tell me every single, so last year and this year with the standardized testing, they're like, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I'm like, well, then why are we doing it? Like, because it's just, it, it puts so much pressure on the kids. And I, of course, this is a loaded subject because I know some some people like like the standardized testing and blah, blah, blah. I just want my kid to be outside. <laughs> and that's why I tried to homeschool at the beginning of the year because I was like, well, you know, I might as well like try because I'd rather have them at home, like being outdoors. And we really just did like two hours of learning in the morning straight. And then we were outside all day and it was great. But obviously with four kids, it's really not... <laughs> really not something I can do. I know many people do, and that's really awesome. But I just was terrible at it. I'm not a good teacher, but how are you going to, how are you going to like, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult. I will say that even though she only has, so we did put her in the after school program because we wanted her exposure to her friends and the language to be longer. So we, we do, yeah. and even then we still pick her up at 145. But they, yeah. they do send home homework. So there is an expectation that, you know, when they go home, that parents are working with them on the homework. Mm. But it's not five hours worth. You know, it's not even two hours worth for the most part. And it's not, you know, crazy intense and there's not a lot of testing. I think it's, I will say that I have some friends that have done what we have done. So similar kids, similar ages. And for sure, they commented their kids' biggest struggle going back to the States was their perceived Mm -hmm. lack of freedom. And I think that that is going to be a struggle. I think that, you know, right now, she's experienced both an American school and a German school. And we, you know, admittedly, we gave her the option, you know, hey, do you want to stay in your German school? And she does. She loves it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's going to be really challenging. And even with my, my, my oldest middle, my five-year-old, you know, she's going to go to first grade at the ground school and she hasn't because of COVID and virtual learning, she hasn't been in any kind of pre-K or kindergarten. And everyone that I talk to is just, don't worry about it. You know, your kid, she shouldn't be expected to read or write by first grade. That's that's not, that's what they do in first grade. And so there's just, I do think it's going to be challenging. And I think, especially the longer we're here, you know, we have two more years to kind of be ingrained in this. And I think there, I also have a slight concern, you know, about her adjustment just with language. She, she can read in English. And so I, I felt kind of confident in that with her going into the German school that she wouldn't be too behind. Math, of course, is almost the same. They do teach cursive over here. So okay. that's different. 
<laughs> I am so disappointed in that. <laughs> Let me tell you. I really am. I'm going to just have to teach it to my kids because I mean, it's such a beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, 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 so I, I do think that, and even things like that, you know, she's learning cursive. Now it is German cursive, which we did learn very quickly is different than American cursive. But even something like that, I think will be a shock to her to go back to school yeah. and realize, oh, I don't write, I don't need to write well, in cursive. But long rambling answer to your very short question. I do, I do struggle with it. I, I think it'll be a change. But for us, this was such a big part of coming over here. To your point, you know, to do family trips for us, we just weren't sure we're going to, it was, we were going to be able to do financially. And for us coming over here and having them immersed in the culture and her immersed in school and every educator that I've talked to has just said that what they're going to gain by learning and being exposed to a different school, a different environment, her language, she'll easily make up for anything that she's quote unquote behind when she gets back to an American school that, you know, her exposure and her kind of just critical thinking skills and ability to see the differences, you know, I'm hoping won't have her struggling when we get back both in a perceived lack of freedom and educationally per the American system, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. All right. A couple more questions. I think there's, okay. So how about nursing in public? Do people, is it something that's just done and people don't, you know, they ignore it or is it like people really cover up? They don't really like to nurse in public. That's also a hard question because we haven't been, there's no, there's no public to go to. Um, But but I mean, I'm a pretty big proponent of openly nursing, not in a vulgar way, just in a, I'm going to feed my baby way. And Uh I haven't had any stairs. I mean, parks and stuff are open. So, you know, we'll go to the park and if she has to eat or if we're hiking and she has to eat, then, you know, I'll do it while carrying her or I'll do it in a parking lot. But over here, just in general, nudity is far less of an issue. You know, anywhere you turn, there's a male going to the restroom, you know, you turn at a park and there's a mom holding her toddler to pee in the woods or maybe just on the side of the playground. So I don't think I'll have anyone bat an eye. It's just, mm, yeah, it's such, such just such a it's different, very different experience. Yeah. So what about, and I think this could be the last one. So what about society's accept, acceptance of children in public places? So do they, you know, in America, I feel like sometimes like, for example, like I take my four children to, of course, this hasn't really happened with COVID. So again, it's really hard. But um, if I take them all by myself to like a restaurant or a store, I get people that look at me and they're like, are they all yours? And I'm like, what kind of a question is that? You know, like, it drives me crazy. I'm like, yes, they're all mine. Like, why would I have them all if they weren't? All mine? <laughs> you know, it's just so weird. Like, and so I just, is it like that there? Like, would anybody look at you if you were walking around with all your kids and you're going to like, I mean, I know you said with everything's being closed, but like at the park or walking down the street or like, do you feel like you get that type of a vibe or is it like more openly accepting of kids being everywhere? Yeah, I think they're more openly accepting for sure. And just, can we just have a brief caveat for the glory that are swing sets at restaurants in Europe? They're... I mean, for the, oh, for, don't for the get brief me time, I mean, to me, that 100% just shows that they absolutely cater to kids. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm telling you. So again, like <laughs> it really absolutely blew my mind when we did all these different trips that we did. And most of the countries we went to, we tried to do two countries at once. And so, and they're all the same. They're all in such that there is like, we would go to a restaurant and there would be an entire play mm-hmm. section. So <laughs> you get to spend time with your spouse and you can have your kids entertaining themselves and everybody is happy as a clam as opposed to America where we have to all sit at the same table shoving crayons and you know coloring things in front of our kids faces which they don't want to do and then trying to enjoy ourselves you know like at the same time it's like nearly impossible every single restaurant we went to had something for the kids to do and all of the first of all there are parks everywhere there are natural playgrounds everywhere there i just feel like they put so much thought into everything to do with kids. And it's just, it's unbelievable to me because in America, I almost feel like they just don't expect families to have children. So they just don't, (laughs) they just don't accommodate for kids. I mean, I don't even know one restaurant. I don't even know. Well, no, sorry that I lie. There is one restaurant nearby that has a swing set and that is the only one. And there's, they're just not kid friendly. And it's so wild to me because it's such a huge I mean, maybe I should just quit everything and open up a restaurant with a huge playground in the back, right? I mean, that yeah. is like, that would never fail. We, we very quickly called my parents and we're like, you know what, how we can make so much money when we move back to the States? And my dad said, oh, he's, he had a friend that wanted to add a swing set, I want to say to a church or somewhere. And the legalities of it and the amount of money they would have to have an insurance. Uh, and so I don't know what they do over here. But yeah, I mean, so I think no one bats an eye with our kids. And for the most part, yeah, like you said, they're catered to. There's If there's not an outdoor swing set at a restaurant, there's an indoor play set. And, you know, even my two-year-old, at, so I took my two-year-old to the physician's office for my youngest four-week checkup. And she was being two, you know, she was falling on the floor. And the nurse just said, oh, they're hard at this age. <laughs> you know, not granted, I was at a pediatrician's yeah. office. But, and same thing, you know, I think for the most part, people are just like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's how kids are. That's normal. I can't remember which book it was, but one of the books I read recently talked about this. And she was explaining that the reason for that, the reason that, you know, kids don't, they took a lot of different, like the merry-go-round from the playgrounds. They won't have any zip lines and all this stuff is because Americans are so much more apt to like, to sue the schools or in this case, I guess a restaurant, right? If something goes wrong, whereas people in Europe, they, they just let their kids, you know, they have full freedom. They are allowed to play and do whatever they want essentially. And they would never think twice about like, their kid fell off the playground. I'm going to sue the school or the restaurant. It's not like something they think about, but in heat, like in America, the culture is such that everybody's worried they're going to get sued for something. And that's why they keep taking away all these different things from our playgrounds and not allowing kids to do certain things. And we had actually, so I put up a big stink at our school because I was like, I don't understand why the kids don't go outside in the rain or the snow. I'm like, I don't understand. And she was like, well, so the problem is that not all kids have that type of gear, which I completely understand, but I'm like, okay, so then just have some, like, I don't know, some hand me like just some stuff in the school that the kids could borrow or whatever, right. you know, um, and that they just leave there. And then they said that the parents 
think that they'll be they'll be too cold or they'll get <laughs> sick if they're if they're I, don't even I'm I, dying because oh my, my daughter gosh. when it was like 20 degrees outside her window in her classroom was totally open they just expect you to wear a winter coat in the classroom <laughs> But they're the ones that have to deal with the parents calling and saying, I don't want my child being exposed to 20 degree weather. They're not, you know, they don't, they're not dressed appropriately or the parents just don't care to dress them appropriately. And so it's on the schools then to say, well, we can't offer those things because this, you know, the parents either won't dress their kid appropriately because they don't want to, don't have time or don't have the means financially. Or they just don't want like their kids being exposed to like cold weather or rain. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we teaching our kids if we don't expose them to rain and cold weather? I just don't even know. But yeah, it's just wild. It's just a such a different mentality. You it know? really is. And the, I mean, the playgrounds to that point. I mean, every time we have our kids very locked down on social media, so we created a separate account on Instagram for just our family, you know, the people that we were texting and calling so that we could post pictures of the kids. And every time we post a playground, people are like, that playground is amazing. And it's just another everyday playground. But there's so many things that are just not in the States. And there's almost no, what I would consider quote unquote safety, you know, there is, but it's like one really high wire that my two-year-old could easily fall over. You know, you're just, And my daughter, bless her heart, she's seven. I haven't quite been able to give it up. But I mean, we constantly, we go to the park and you see kids five, six, seven that are there without a parent. You know, they're, they're going to the ice cream shop. So they walk from their house. Oh, I assume. Yeah. They're walking to the ice cream shop and getting an ice cream and then riding their bike to the playground. And I mean, it's just, they just have this really inherent trust and independence, which I think is amazing. Maybe, maybe I'll get there in, in a couple of years. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of like a free range podcasts and reading the books and, and that's like a whole other topic in and of itself, right? We could probably, t- we could honestly talk for so long about this, but it's again, one of those things where I don't know what happened, but as Americans we're trained to feel like it's really dangerous out there and it's actually crime as far as like like kidnapping and all of that is actually down compared to say like the 1970s and so and you know back then people kids were running amok it wasn't like it is now now kids are strapped down and have parents chasing them everywhere and we are really trying to go against the grain and trying to give a lot more independence why we bought this like we bought this little, it's, it's called relay and it's like a, it's like essentially a walkie talkie. Oh yeah. To let her kind of, yeah, it's really cool. Actually. I've really, I've really been liking it and she kind of just roams our neighborhood and I never, I'm telling you right now, like if you asked me two or three years ago, if I would let my seven year old roam the neighborhood, like just going doing whatever she wanted to, I would be like, no way. I would never let her do that. What if somebody comes and snatch mm-hmm. Like I would have had a million excuses for it. Because I feel like it's just kind of like what I've, what's been ingrained in me since I became a mom, you know, like keep them close, keep them close. And then I'm like, oh, wow. And then more I like have been diving deep into the other cultures. I'm like, oh, I, you know, how is she going to be able to leave the house at 18 if I'm like following her footsteps when she's seven, you know? So I've been trying to do that too, but it is hard. It's hard because I feel like a lot of people are, are kind of the opposite in this country specifically. So it's kind of hard because you're doing that 
the opposite. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you get people looking at you crazy when your seven-year-old is going off and doing something by themselves. And I'm like, don't worry, she's allowed to do this. You know, I'm afraid, you know, like that someone's going to call the police on me or something. Yeah. I mean, in the States, I probably would have been looked at as a pretty liberal like parent. And here they probably think I'm a hoverer, even though like I, by no means is what yeah. I would consider like a so helicopter parent. But here, just the fact that we probably like walk them to the park, <laughs> you know, yeah. and is, is, is different, you know, quite frankly. Can you even imagine what would happen if like the police saw a, a six or seven year old walking to the park by themselves? <laughs> Um, they would probably pick the kid up, right? And bring them home and like give you a citation or something. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe not. Right. But I, I mean, I've never seen a child that was younger than say, you know, a teen, like an early teen doing anything by themselves. You know, I'll see some kids like probably 11 or 12, like on their bikes, but I never see younger kids doing anything by themselves. Oh yeah. And my, my husband, you know, we have a local bakery in our village and he walks to the, you know, we walk to the bakery in the mornings and the other morning he went and there was a girl he, he thought was probably six or seven and she was just buying bread for the day completely by herself. I mean, she was on a bike and completely by herself, just buying bread in the bakery. That's so, it's just so <laughs> it wild. Is. So is there anything else that like is really, really different from American culture that's that's different over there that you've really liked or disliked? I mean, as a parent, grocery shopping is a lot different. <laughs> you know, the, the food's really? a lot less processed. So, you know, people say that Europeans sh- grocery shop, you know, every day. And that's pretty true, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I do mourn Costco a little bit. <laughs> there, there was a brilliance yeah. to like buying things in bulk, especially when you're a family who can go through a bag of chips in a day or whatever it is, you know, know, a a thing of strawberries in a day. But, you know, definitely we have to eat things a lot quicker or it'll go bad. We lived in a very rural town in Indiana. So we had to drive to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And here we can walk to the bakery, which might have been more similar if we lived in a New York or a bigger city. But that for us is just such a wonderful experience to have a village Mm -hmm. bakery and, an ice cream shop and all of that. So I think groceries for sure has been the biggest adjustment as a family, just mm-hmm. for sure. But I love it. I mean, and just the trails here, I mean, you were talking about hiking the trail system here and to be able to hike just everywhere you turn, it's just trails mm-hmm. so well maintained. I mean, I don't, their infrastructure to just maintain the trail system here boggles my mind because it's just everywhere. And it's amazing. I mean, you just pull off anywhere on the side of the road and can see this amazing history. And my kids at this point are, you know, we've seen so many castles that they'll start to say, this castle is boring. (laughs) Like, you you don't know how privileged you are when you can tell me a castle is boring. Yeah, really? Yeah. So I think, you know, just that. And yeah, just like you said, going outside. I mean, they're just outside constantly. It's just, there's no such thing as bad weather. I know you've read that book and it's, it's true. I I mean, every time before we moved here, you know, I would see you post about it and being here, man, it's true. It's not just something that they write in books about the culture. It's, it's truly how they live. Yeah. That's just, that's just crazy. Oh, 
All right. So I'm going to end with two questions that I usually ask my podcast guests, and it has nothing to do with like what we talked about. It can be about anything. So the first question is, if you could give a mom one piece of advice, what would it be? To talk about the struggles. I think too often we try and not talk about the hard parts of parenting. And I'm not talking in a you know mental health type of way, just to say, hey, this stage is really hard or my baby's not sleeping or, you know, I think sometimes we try and poly in things because we're embarrassed mm-hmm. or we're afraid of judgment. And to me, talking about it is so freeing and can just build a community around you that's even stronger. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And just to kind of normalize it all. I, I don't know about you, but when I became a first time mom, I was like, no one told me about any of this stuff. I mean, even like constipation, I don't know. And then like breastfeeding, breastfeeding was a nightmare for me pretty much every time, except for the very last time. But hello, I had like so much experience at that point, you know, but there's just so many things, so many things that I think people just uh, don't talk about. And yeah, to normalize it is just so nice. So the second question is, if you could make one meal for your family that everybody would eat and that's quick and easy, what would it be? For us, breakfast for dinner all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean So what's your favorite breakfast thing to make? Like if you were gonna if you were going to do that tonight, what would you waffles, make? sausage, bacon, and fruit. I mean, it's not I mean, I don't know if it's the most nutritious thing on the planet, but my my, my kid my kids will eat it every time, you know, so yeah. that's for sure. Do you make your waffles from from scratch, or do you just buy like a, a box of? Waffles? Yeah, we're we're co- yeah, we'll just we'll just buy a box. I have I have yeah. tried you know some like German like quick German Dutch pancakes that you can do in a blender, but box waffle mix tends to tends to, <laughs> tends do, to do just, just fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, it was really awesome talking with you, and thank you for taking the time out of your day to to talk about all this stuff. This was, this was really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to motherhood meets medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.